The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. What does it mean to be present, to try and stay in the moment that you're in and not worry about the future or regret the past? It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. I'm Diane Ray, and I have always had questions about the big picture. God, life after death, spirituality, metaphysics, and what drives people to do what they do. And I like to ask them about it and learn from it. If you're a seeker like me, I hope you join me for some of these conversations on the podcast and be present with me in this moment. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to have a conversation about authenticity. And I was thinking about this, and I want to start out by sharing a story of working on my own authenticity. So back in the 90s and early 2000s, I was working as a rock DJ in South Florida. Some of you may know this story. And I managed to get a job at WSHE, She's Only Rock and Roll, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Now, this was a big deal for me. I had dreams of making it to the big markets like New York or LA and being a big radio star. And at the time, shock jocks were really big. There was Howard Stern, of course, Man Cow out of Chicago. And for women, there were two big talents that I was aware of. One was Randy Rhodes and the other was Liz Wilde. And these women were both super talented. They're brave, unafraid, and willing to say or do just about anything. And I wanted to be that. So I was a part-timer on the air for a while. And then I became the full-time overnight jock on the air from midnight to 6 a.m. right before the morning show came in. That's where a lot of radio people cut their teeth on that shift. So I wanted to succeed so bad. And I tried to emulate these other two women and be what I thought was going to be a badass. You know, I tried to change up my voice and create a persona of what I thought a rock chick was supposed to sound like. And I'll never forget one night I did a break on the air and I started coughing because I was trying to force my voice to go where it didn't want to go. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, WSAG, she's only rock and roll. And just, it it was stupid. So one of my coworkers was in the studio and he just started shaking his head and just laughing. It just wasn't working. I was never going to be that. And I was more a music nerd that loved to talk about who was in the band, who was a great guitarist or musician, than be a character or a persona. And I had to accept that I wasn't going to be that and just try to be myself on the air. And that was the only thing that worked. And I had a great knowledge of music and I love to share that. And so that's what I did. Then things started to happen. And I won't bore you with all of the details after that, but it led me to some amazing places and experiences. And here I am now doing this podcast and talking about things that interest me and inspire me. So when this book came into my lap today with my guest, Adam Bubulia, and I hope, Adam, you'll correct me if I that's uh, your perfect, name. perfectly right. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Oh, that's pretty good. He has written this great book called Authenticity, the Immense Power to Be Yourself. And he's founder of Bridging Worlds Behavioral Services, innovator of heart-centered applied behavioral analysis and heartcenteredrevolutions.org, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. And I've been spending time with this book and just really you know, kind of relishing it. So I'm really happy to welcome him to the show because I think we can all learn some lessons about being our true selves and being authentic. So welcome. And, and thank you for sitting through my long introduction. Thank thank you. I, I think your introduction is really a beautiful example of where most of us start. We start out seeing what other people do that's successful or that, that is in the direction of what we want. And we try to copy them. And we try to, you know, often we try to be somebody else. For me, my, um, my, one of my longtime teachers and mentors, I was trying to do and copy his style of facilitation and his style of leading groups. And I got pretty good at doing him, but it wasn't me. It wasn't, it wasn't true to my heart. And 
it wasn't my life that I was living when I was being him. It was, it was like trying, to, you know, trying to cop. It, it creates that inauthenticity that just hurts something in our heart and soul when we're, you know, like for you, it was literally hurting your throat, you know, yes. putting on the voice. Um, and I, I think where, wherever we're compromising that authenticity, it, um, it, it's like it's like what I say in the book, and it's it's like we're born to be the way we are. Like if you were born to be Howard Stern or you know a, another shock jock, that, like that's who you would be. But you're not. You're you know born to have these conversations about spirituality and authenticity and things that open people's hearts. And that like for me, as I found that my gifts were already here inside, I didn't have to go looking, and I didn't have to find somebody to study under. I mean, you know, I can learn from whomever is around, but the gifts are right here in our hearts. Yes. And it's such an important lesson. And I think you can spend a lot of time and waste a lot of time trying to be who you aren't. And when you finally just accept, and, and you talk about this in the book, you kind of get present with yourself and accept, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be that let's, let's try, let's be who, who we are, who we're supposed to be. And I, I think for some people, it may take a lifetime, you know, it may take years to get to that point, but it's so important. And I remember when, I remember how stupid I felt trying to fit into what I thought was supposed to be, you know, the, the hot rock chick and all that, which was fun, but it wasn't, it wasn't authentic. And, and it's something you feel and and your book is very experiential, and we're, and we're going to talk about that too, because you bring people through a lot of exercises to kind of get in touch with that. But I think we know, right? We we know deep down that this isn't who we are, and there's absolutely. only so long you can keep up that charade. Absolutely, it just feels contrived and unnatural. When somebody's being themselves, when you're being yourself, there's a sense of relief and ease. I mean that that's why part partially for me, it's it's easy to talk about this because. It's just embodying what I'm living. I don't have to pretend to be more evolved than I am. I am where I am. And and I, I think a lot of times in, in spiritual communities, people are striving to be ahead of where they are and their talk gets ahead of their walk. But to me, like I'm as authentic as I am today. I hope to become more authentic as I continue on this path. I am as loving as I am today. And the kind of self-acceptance that comes when we accept ourselves as we are today is really profound. And to me, it's really a moment-to-moment -moment decision. At any time, you can come into acceptance of where you are, or you can fall out of it. And either way, that's a choice. And whenever I fall out of self-acceptance, I simply choose to return as soon as I can. And that's what I help guide people back to. Right. Having that awareness, which is so important. And so, I mean, your book grabbed me right from the start because you share that you were involved with a cult, a narcissistic and abusive cult for 18 years. And I'm, I'm fascinated by that whole, by cults, like that whole thing. I've read about all of them because, you know, Scientology and, and what always fascinates me a lot of the times is that you think, how could I fall into something like that, a cult? You know, how could I get involved? But these people aren't stupid. You know, a lot of the people that are involved in a movement or something like that, they are, they're not, not intelligent people. And so I, I wanted to find out a little bit about your story because I'm, I'm fascinated by this and you were involved for 18 years. And then in 2020, you know, you started to do some work and you, you tried something called Iboga which yes. is an African psychedelic uh, used in recovery from addiction and also for spiritual development. So I'm, I'm assuming it's something like an ayahuasca or like an, uh, a peyote or LSD or, or a mushroom trip or something like that. Yes. So I have to find out about this experience because th this is fascinating. So can you tell us a little bit? And you don't have to say the cult, you know, or whatever it was if you're not comfortable. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm comfortable talking about any of, any of it. Um, I was involved in this group that was, uh, it was called process coaching. And um, it was about 
self-acceptance and self-love and finding your own truth. It's a, it's about everything that I'm living now, except that the leader was talking the talk, but when it came down to it, it was his truth that ruled the day, not anyone else's truth. And if you questioned him or challenged his authority, he he got initially he was very loving and accepting, and then he got progressively angrier and more critical. And he would couch it in the service of of loving and accepting you. The now within cults, there's a whole range, and some cults, this was not a live-in community. You know, some cults have slave labor, some cults have elaborate sexual abuse. You know, that this was more emotional abuse and like mind control, where the closest people to him, he would systematically try to take over your life from what length you keep your hair to, you know, who you date to, and he wouldn't say I'm in charge of this. He would just act as a kindly mentor, but. So it was subtle, like it was over yes. time. So it's something you wouldn't notice right away until then you're, you finally say, Oh, you know, this guy's controlling my life. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so the group, there are probably 200 people involved in the group. And I would say only 20 or 25 people experienced the cult-like abusive stuff because a lot of people got positive benefits from it. And if you look at like a cult like Nixium or any of these cults, you'll see that there are positive transformational elements that that are there. Otherwise, people wouldn't wouldn't come and get hooked by them. And so we, you know, this was hypnotherapy, neurolinguistic programming, and um various like shamanic types of work. And so I, a lot of the skills that I use to this day, I learned there, and I'm really grateful that I was involved in the group. And e even like some people be like, oh, I've wasted 18 years. But for me, the the kind of opening that happened after I was repressing myself in that way was really astronomical. And And the first three or four years in that group were completely positive. So I have a lot of compassion for myself with getting lost in the group. And it's given me an awareness to, to stay tuned to subtle energy in a way that I didn't have before. Right. It sounds like you've really been able to process that experience. And you're right. Uh, a lot of things on the surface, there will be a lot of positivity. Like, yes. the, you know, a lot of people did benefit from some of the practices of Nexium you know, people that got into Scientology, oh, they're trying to change the world and, and do great things. So it does attract you in in that, you know, that you're going to be able to do something positive. So I'm curious, what led you to the Iboga experience? Am I saying that right? Because I've never heard of Iboga. I've heard of ayahuasca and some of these other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Iboga or Ibogaine is um, the, there was something going on in my life that was not working. And the the leader um, advised me to do iboga, and uh, as immediately as soon as he suggested, I felt a a, a draw to it. Iboga, iboga, or ibogaine. It's um it's much longer and stronger than ayahuasca or peyote or any of those experiences. It's uh, about a twenty four hour experience when you do a a full dose. Um, it's often used in the treatment of uh, heroin and opioid addiction, you can get physiologically clean from one journey. It, you still have to deal with the psychological right. reasons that you're addicted. Um, and I didn't have any drug addiction, but I, um, you can also use it for psycho-spiritual purposes. And what I, what I realized is I was addicted to the trauma bond with the leader. But, but basically... Um, I did, I, I did this journey. It was in my, it was during the time of when COVID everything was kind of shut down. I was in my own home. One of my, uh, friends from the cult was sitting for me. And the, the person that was the Iboga shaman was actually in Florida. Normally he came out, but we were in that COVID thing. And so he, he just was on the phone periodically checking in. And, um, the, Iboga is unique in that it's it's kind of like a, you close your eyes and you're journeying and you open your eyes and you're not journeying and you can kind of shut it on and off at any time, except 
it you get really queasy if you stand up. You can't really stand up and walk around at 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 big doses. It you know you need help going to the bathroom and simple things. Uh, but everything in your inner life comes very pronounced and clear. So there, the the biggest thing that set me free is this very clear message that I was following the leader and not myself. And the medicine just showed me that it didn't, you know, it didn't have a you should stop doing this or whatever. It just was like, look at the truth. This is the truth. It was like truth serum for me, you know, and just and. And I didn't see a way out of it I, I, because I was doubting myself and not believing in myself and believing in him. I, I thought, yeah, well, of course I'm following him. He's, he's right and I'm not. Or it, it's, um, And in the journey, it wasn't like I was shown that the group was a cult even. All I was shown is that I was not following myself. I mean, there were other things. And I was shown this pattern of judging and criticizing myself. Like I'd notice a feeling that I was feeling that felt uncomfortable. And then some thought would come behind and say, you shouldn't be feeling that. And, and the, the medicine showed me in like slow motion, how the noticing and the judging were attached to each other. And interestingly enough, it's like, I didn't see a way out of either of those patterns. And I just, I was kept trying to get my, it was like, I was trying to work myself out of the pattern. And this was the inauthenticity. I was trying to be somebody that I wasn't. And so at some point I gave up and I thought that giving up was like a surrender and like a, I'm giving up on my life, but it was actually an act of letting go and an act of self-acceptance. And after, after I let go, that was when the change really started happening. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. So this wasn't necessarily a, a lead experience. Like, you know, sometimes with a, a psychedelic experience, there'll be someone that will lead it or, you know, facilitate or something like that. But w- it was just someone there to kind of keep keep an eye on you type of thing. Yeah, they were more there to help out if needed. Iboga is different than like with ayahuasca and peyote. I've done those ceremonies also where like there's a leader in the group and they're guiding. Iboga, it's like, it's like you're on your own journey. And when you, I've also supported others as a guide. And when you're supporting others, it's almost like you're trying to do as little as possible and just let them be in their journey. And you're, but you're doing enough to be a compassionate, empathic presence, but not anymore so that you get in the way. You just let them have the experience. Right. And then, no, I understand this, this sounds so interesting where, and, and there are a lot of differences from, some of the other experiences that I've read and and really the only experience that I could compare I had when I was like 18 and I ended up sitting in a tree with a friend of mine for like 12 hours and just laughing, you know, it it wasn't a deep spiritual experience. Although now I think it would be much different if I, if I did um, do that. So I I was interested to hear, um, to hear your experience. And after that, really the, the inauthentic, inauthenticity of the life that you were living became pretty clear, right? Yeah. Like, I, I have to make some changes. You know, anger. Um, I just started feeling all this anger. And at first I didn't understand it, but like anytime I, when I was sharing about my experience in the journey with the leader afterwards, he would try to reframe it for me and I would get angry at him and I would say, no, it wasn't that it was this. And, and then he was taken back by that. And he's like, he told me I was competing with him and he threw me out of the group. And, and he asked me to donate. I I was a co-owner in the business and he asked me to donate my shares back to the group. And at first I agreed. And then after I got off the phone, I was like, that is wrong. This is, this is like a clear violation in a way that, because a lot of the stuff that he did was subtle and this was like, okay, now he's financially exploiting me. Right. That that like, okay, now I have evidence. Somehow I didn't have evidence before that. And that gave me a clear evidence. But but the anger, it was is actually interesting because 
I think part of the way I was conditioned by this culture is to not, especially the spiritual paths, are to not be angry. And what I found is that I only get angry in response to injustice. It's not like I'm getting angry as an ego defense or something. Like when people unjustly hurt other people, I, I used to get angry at my father and brother when they would kill ants. Like when I was four or five, I would like throw fits and start hitting them for killing the ants because I was feeling the ants pain and I didn't want them hurting the ants, you know, and, um, and that, that was always something for me that I, I like had a natural empathy for anyone that was suffering, even insects. Um, and so I, as I got more comfortable with my anger, um, I started realizing, like, it, it it was actually sort of this guiding force for truth, like a fierce self-love that was just cleansing my whole life. Anger can be a great energy. It, it doesn't have to be a negative, you know, yes. to uh, boost you, to, you know, give you a, a reason, you know, to do something, extricate yourself from a situation where before you might have just taken it, but now you're angry, you yes. know? So Absolutely. it's it's going to lead you out out of that, and and how long did it take you to kind of fully extricate yourself from that situation? With within, um, you know, I mean, at first I got out, and then I I had all like the people that I was with for eighteen years. They were like family to me, and I so I I actually went back in. I was just communicating with all of them, and. And it was it was hellish. They weren't listening. They weren't hearing me, particularly the ones that were closest to the leader and the leader himself. And then I started going to the next circle out, and I started getting um, uptake and try. Like there was one person who had just quit and then been talked back into it. So once she quit, and then a couple other people opened their eyes. Uh, I actually got everyone everyone out of the group other than the leader and his wife. And the leader had a psychotic, he actually was starting to open to what I was saying. I was starting to reach him. And then he had a psychotic break, which he'd, he'd had a history of, of that. This was like maybe his third. And he went into an institution. And when he came out, he had this belief that I was trying to hurt him when, you know, and, and he, and he and his wife, I couldn't, I could not reach them, but everyone else got out and, and so, so that was basically maybe a month and a half or two after I was thrown out, the whole thing was, was disbanded. disbanded or dismantled. Yeah, dismantled. Wow. That, that's an incredible story. So coming out of that experience and then stepping into your own truth, you know, your own authenticity. And, and in the book you share, there's five uh, points or essences that you say, of authenticity, but really the first one is authenticity is the most loving thing you can do for yourself and for others. And, and it really is right. I mean, you were, you're going through that experience. You're showing that being authentic now, I'm sure you're much happier. Absolutely. I, you I know, mean, you're being, living you're being this true. Life. It's like you're being true to yourself. So what could be better than being true to yourself? So that authenticity it's the most loving thing to do because you're following what is in your heart to do. You're following what is your nature. Exactly. And I wanted to talk about in the book that you call uh, divisive energy. And th this really struck me because it, it's so true. All we have to do is look around us. We're more divided than ever. You know, holidays are going to be rolling around soon and there's going to be more arguments at Thanksgiving, you know, the, the reds and the blues and all, and all of that. And we can see it on the news every night. And you say that if you live without an understanding of divisive energy, you can get lost trying to love someone who is hurting you. And, and that, that statement in, in the book struck me. So I wanted to ask you a little, a little bit about that, or, or maybe give an example of, of what you meant by that. Well, a, a lot of times family, close friends, business colleagues, you can you can use your open heart to empathize with them and they can be trying to tear you down. They can be like like there are many people that said I shouldn't I shouldn't I should just walk away from the cult and not try to reach the other people, right? And and for example, my my former fiance, um she 
was very critical of the path I was choosing to walk once I awoke. And she was saying I should be more peaceful and calm. Like that's so in a sense, it can seem like sweet words or kind words, but it was like not true to my nature. I, I needed to move through this angry experience and be fighting for these other people's lives. And that was where, that was where my journey was taking me. And so she was waging a subtle war on my nature by criticizing me rather than supporting me. And I think a lot of people, this kind of subtle criticism of who we are um, in the guise of helping us is divisive. A loving person would not say what you're doing is bad. They might challenge you if, if, if they think you're being not true to yourself or you're hurting yourself. Loving friends will call you out and challenge you, but they will not be divisive. They're doing it for your best interest. Um, so when when we're dealing with manipulative people, there's always a hidden agenda, and that's how the device of the device of energy you can feel it. It's just this person is not supportive of me. They're working against me. Right. It sounds like there was some you know spiritual bypassing there, or just you know bypassing your feelings and just telling you to be peaceful, and you're not feeling peaceful at all. Right, right. You know, and it's interesting because she, anger. She's a trauma therapist, you know. So you think <laughs> you think that she would, um, but but I mean, I think that the the thing is, even for all of us, we can only hold space for others at the level we've held space for ourselves. And she had trouble with her own anger and what, didn't have acceptance for that. So for me, to I was already more comfortable with anger than her, and I was going to a whole new edge. And then she just couldn't. She had no wherewithal to follow that. Right, right. And when you're making great changes like that, a lot of times that th those things will happen, you know, within a, a relationship or family members that that won't understand. And I'm sure that must have been super painful experience, you know, Absolutely. To, to, to go through. Um, but you had to go through it to be true to yourself. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, it was some of the most excruciating and agonizing heartbreak probably the most most I've ever been through particularly was around like in some ways my former fiance had seen me in a way that even the cult leader hadn't and had the opportunity to know me and she just was missing me and that that when I think the hardest thing is when you love somebody and believe in them and they lose they lose their belief and faith in you that that can be a very hard thing you know, um, so for me, I always want to believe in the potential in, in everyone I come into contact with. And, and that's where it's like, I don't hold like, like the moment the cult leader wakes up, I'm here and we can talk, we can get together, whatever. I'm, I'm available for that because I keep my heart open and I'm, I understand the kind of pain and wounding and trauma he's in. And if he's truly ready to awaken, I'm there. But a lot of a lot of people close their heart, and and and, and I'm unusual in this way. And not every you know, some people need to just take space and not be in contact. And that you know, I totally honor that because everyone has to follow what's in their heart. And and yes. for me, it was there was a two month period, like after the iboga, where maybe a month and a half or two, where I couldn't be in contact. Like I could text the leader, but I couldn't talk to him. And then at a certain point. I got completely immune. And then, and he, before that, before that point, he was trying to talk to me and I was like, no, we can text. And then once I got immune to his bullshit, it was, it was all, I, I was like, okay, let's talk. And he was like, no, no, let's not. You know, right. because I became unable to be manipulated. And once I had that resilience in me, then I, I could face him and anyone um, and that was part of part of the thing. It was a, such a liberating act of. It's like I went from feeling like I was always going to be this person's student and not good enough to be my own leader to realizing I was a better leader than this person I was following for the last eighteen years, and I could guide him if he would let me, and if he didn't, then he could go his own way. And and th and that was just such a powerful lesson in leadership.
What a, what a relief. I can imagine at that moment when kind of the, the spell is broken and, you know, you have no power here anymore. Leave before someone drops a house on you kind of thing. Yes, <laughs> you know, yes. you uh, you can't do this to me anymore. And, you know, and you're right. Like people, sometimes there, there has to be a complete just, you know, cut off of ties depending on, on whatever happened. And maybe it, time has to pass. Absolutely. You know, de- depending on, on the situation. So interesting. Um, I really, I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the exercises that you share in the book, because I I was reading them over and it, they're very experiential. And I'm sure you, you do these in workshops and, and with groups of people and have had great effect. And are these exercises particularly ones that you noticed were really effective with people that you were working with and teaching? I mean, I have this ability to sort of improvise exercises in any moment, um, and and I just tune into my heart and follow that. So some of these exercises I had done in workshops, and some of them were just when I tuned in with my heart to the message I was delivering in that chapter, what was the exercise that my heart guided me to do in that moment? Um, so in, in so a you sense- improv these? Yes, yes. I mean, I could improv an exercise. Like, I could, you know, you can give me anything to give an exercise about, and I, I'll do that if you want to. Like, that, that's wow. Um, it's because basically, for me, the essence, these exercises are sort of very playful and experiential. And at, at essence, they're like, connect with your heart, accept what you feel, and open to it. Like, right. in essence, most of them, I mean, some of them are you know, communicate with somebody else and try this out and or try this game out. But a lot of it is basically just simply tuning in, slowing down, feeling, accepting. So they, they're they really, they're really sort of a playful attempt to bring more embodiment to, because a lot of times people just read books and it's just a head experience and they might be inspired by it, but how how does it really change their lives? And this is a way that people who want to bring the work a little deeper can do that. Well, I think as a bridge to authenticity, it it's great that you have that mind-body connection because I think a lot of us, uh, and I'm sure myself many times too, I'm not like this totally soul-connected you know, person. It's, it's a process. It's a journey until the day I shuffle off the planet. But I think to make people aware of that connection. What are we really feeling? And that's something that I've really noticed over, well, for me, there's just been so a lot of growth in that over the past few years where I'll try to take the moment and feel, do I really need to send that email? Should I wait? And then I'll, and I'll get quiet or how should I talk to my business partner about this? Let me, let me think about it before I say something or fire something off. And it's so beneficial to to try to strengthen that mind body and that heart connection. And a lot of these exercises are really effective in doing that. Absolutely. That, that waiting and that pausing, because a lot of our behavior is habitual. We're just, you know, like I I think actually this is derived from Viktor Frankl's work, the between the stimulus and the response, there's a space. And in that space, we have the freedom to choose. Um, And In that space, we have the ability to feel. If we just act, we're going on what we've been conditioned or trained to do often. And we, especially reactive action is, is just like, well, I'm doing this because this other person did that. Versus, okay, this other person came in with this nasty energy. Now, how do I want to respond? Like, what do... Like, what do I want to do with that? And and to have like, okay, I could react back and get angry. I could um, say, it seems like you're having an issue. Uh, you want to talk later? I mean, uh, there there's just so many, or I don't like the way you're speaking with me right now. Can 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 you shift to a more respectful tone? However, like whatever, you know, there's so many options all the time. And when we don't pause, when we don't slow down, we don't, remember those options. Right. 
So true. I mean, I'm just thinking of so many different situations that I've been in. And I really think that what you're writing about is, is so important for people to think about and be aware of and pay attention to, because this road to authenticity, I think, is a lifelong pursuit. We're, we're always going to be checking in with ourselves, trying to be more aware, trying to be the best that we can be, or we, or we hope that we're, we're doing that. Not, I see a lot of people that aren't, but you know, that that's their journey. But in, in the book, you say authenticity cannot be taught. Although here we are kind of trying to teach people or get them aware of, of being more authentic, but I think it's about identifying beliefs and old ideas and things that were brought up in through, through no fault of our own, where yeah. we just kind of marinate in this stuff. And then at some point you're like, Hmm, should I, you know, like you questioned with the leader and it could be a, a family thing. You know, we're, we're brought up, we products of our environment and we see how relationships are played out and things like that. How do you work with people? Like when they come in with something that's like a, a clearly a, maybe it's a bigoted idea or something that they they're struggling with and it's not serving them anymore. How, how would you talk to people to let go of that in their, in their search for authenticity, letting go of those old beliefs? I want to start with, I want to start with the, I'll come back to answer that, but the authenticity cannot be taught. I think the way, what I mean by that is like, the path that you found to being your own self in, in the radio and podcast world, right? Like no one could have told you what that was, you know, you had to find that. And, and so I, th I think that what, where, where we can learn with authenticity is we can learn how to come out of conditioned patterns. We can learn to stop trying to be like other people we can learn to question limiting beliefs. So, you know, in a sense, coming back to your question, what I what I do is I sense the person's like basically when somebody's in their natural state, they feel relaxed and at ease. And I find when the person feels most natural to me, and I kind of calibrate to that. And then when they get stressed, when they get contorted, I notice that. So if somebody has a bigoted belief, that usually will contort their energy. And I can just ask, like, how, okay, so it, that's, you know, so a lot of times what I'll do is it, I like to say things that are challenging in a neutral tone of voice. I think of driving directions as the, the you know, go down to the stop sign, take a left, and then take a right. So when you said that remark, it felt um, it felt inauthentic to me. It felt off the mark of what's in your heart. How did it feel to you? So there's no judgment on being inauthentic. There's no judgment on being unloving. Whatever the thing is, but I'm gonna I'm giving objective feedback as objective as I can feedback um, to serve this person. And then I ask them. So I give them something that's objective, and then I ask them how they receive that. I mean, some people be like, oh, yeah, you're right. That, that, that idea is really not, you know, serve. Like, I am judging people for being overweight because I'm judging myself and my own body. And, oh, that's, thank you. Thank you for pointing that out. Okay. You know, and then, and then we go on an exploration around self esteem and body image. And then we were there. Um, so, depending on what the judgment is and, and how it is, you know, basically, judgments like value judgments of right or wrong value judgments of wrongness on other people are are really never helpful um discernment is different than judgment like like if you say something like you know all trump supporters are bad for example like right some of us right. on the left might feel that way or believe that right <laughs> and and right. but you don't know this particular person and why they believe what they believe and, and what's going on for them. So to make a categorical statement like that, that's a judgment that dismisses it. It just blocks off the potential in the human being. Now, if you said, you know, in, in many ways, Trump's ideology is, is cult-like and I don't just, you know, subscribe to those points of view. And I, you know, I question people that do, 
that's more nuanced. That's that's not that's discernment. That's not that's not the person's bad for believing the way they believe. Um, so to me, we want to use empathy to understand any point of view. And and so somebody somebody who's racist, somebody who's um, sexist, uh, it's not. Um, they are where they are. So on some level, my goal for myself is to accept them as they are and help them open to whatever extent they're willing to. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. And I'm also interested in family of origin stuff and where that comes from. And and I've taken a, a lot of looks at my own family of origin and I'm the oldest of three and we're we're very different. And, and one thing that I think is interesting is how my sister and brother reframe or have a totally different take on the same situation, right. That I saw, I remember dad did this at Christmas and well, I remember it this way, you know, and it's just interesting how everybody processes things like that. And uh, you talk about your father in the book, you know, and, and his influence and what do you, what do you think he, he contributed to you in that sense, in your family of origin. I mean, my father was very, he was very authentic. He, he was not driven by what other people thought. He would just be himself. Like one of the things I say in the book, he was not, um, he didn't have an abundance of awareness for feeling. He was not, he, he was political. He was intelligent. He was, had a vast understanding of history. You know, I I'd hold him up to anyone in terms of understanding of the sociopolitical landscape. And I kind of didn't even have to look into that because I could just, I, my father and I, my beliefs kind of aligned. So he would do all the research and I would just like draw him out on things. I'm like, okay, that, that's what I believe too on, on the political stuff. But he was not into the introspective side of things, but, but the, that wasn't his, his path somehow, but seeing him just every day, be honest and true to whatever he was experiencing. If he didn't like what I was doing, he'd say, he'd say it, it wasn't a big deal. Things would go back on track with communication. It was just very refreshing to be around somebody that was just very transparent, open and honest. What a great lesson or, or a great teacher, really. I'm trying to think if I, my father and I never talked about politics. I mean, I think I remember, well, when I first started to vote and I asked him, you know, what, what do you think? You know, should I, should I be an R or a D, you know? And I think at first he, I think the first president I voted for was Reagan. What did I know? You know, at that time I was like 18, but it was funny because we didn't have those conversations, but my, my mother and I had much a deeper conversation. She was a teacher and, and very intelligent and read a lot of books. We both like to read. So she had uh, different views on that. But I think it's interesting how those things kind of filter into your psyche and then how it's expressed in, in your own life. But Absolutely. we're able to look at it and examine it on our own path as we're trying to be authentic and kind of see where things come from. It's it's interesting because what you're saying is just reminding me of a story. Um when I was in second grade, I did a book report or a, I did a report on Mark Spitz, um, the swimmer, the Olympic right. swimmer. And I remember. Um, I don't even remember this story, but my friend, my friend Murad from elementary school, he told me the story. And he was like, you know, when we were in the car with your father, your father questioned you, like, why are you doing a report on Mark Spitz? You should be doing something on somebody that matters, like Nelson Mandela, you know? And, and so he was asking, he, he was challenging me this way as a second, as a, you know, as an eight-year-old of like, you know, you should be, you should be doing things, not just doing reports on athletes, but doing reports on um, somebody that makes change in the world. And for me, that was just so ordinary that it didn't stand out because that was the kind of way my father was. He would, you know, um, and, and, but for Murad, he was like, wow, that's, that's really like your father. Because I think my father always treated me like a little adult. So he would, he would bring me over and he would ask me, he was a law school professor and he would ask me, he would ask me law school questions when I was like nine, 10, 11, and all the way up. He'd be like, what do you think of this? And 
it was a very, it would be a very complicated question. And he would ask and he would listen to my response and then he would critique. He'd be like, that's good thinking there. This is not good for this and this reason. And he would just, he would like train, mentor and teach in a very profound way. And, and for me, it's interesting because my mother was more spiritual and emotional so we would like recite poetry together. We would meditate together and go to like alternative things. So it's like my father gave me this like legal, like left brain training. And my br mother gave me this sort of more right brain, intuitive, empathic training. That's, that's so interesting. It's funny what we, what we pull from, right? Or what, what we take yes. from the gene pool you know, that we're given. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's so interesting. I mean, if someone is, you know, in the bookstore or this book is recommended, which I recommend that, that people pick this up because I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Is there an exercise that kind of sits with you as something that is really impactful that they could work from, from the book that you really like? Yeah, absolutely. I think there, there's two practices that I say, if you, if you had to do one, one or two of these practices just do this one and i'm just gonna i think it's the it's the one on the heart of the heart uh page 17 so if you feel out of touch with your heart or a little off center start by touching your heart be honest with yourself about what exactly you feel what are you noticing Say to yourself what you are noticing or experiencing. It could be, I'm feeling a little tension here. It could be, I'm feeling relaxed and open. It could be anything. Just say to yourself what you're experiencing. Notice how it feels as you connect more deeply with the messages of your heart. This honesty can often bring you back in touch with your heart. Keep being honest whenever you lose touch with your heart throughout the day. Let your feelings take you back to the truth of your heart. If you only do this one exercise, you'll have the essence of this whole book. When you lose connection with your heart, come back home. Live from your heart by being aware of your feelings and in loving connection with your experience. Enjoy your heart connection and return to it as often as you feel guided. And, and the touching your heart is really helpful for tuning in. It just it just pulls your awareness. Like our, our society conditions us to be up in our head and thinking and racing ahead of the next thing. And when we come back to our heart, what do I feel? What am I experiencing? Because this experience right now is completely new. We we think we're having the same experience we've had before. Like I've been interviewed before. Okay. But I've never been interviewed by Diane and she, you know, her particular, your particular quality of curiosity and the way you dialogue. It's, it's different. It's, it brings out a different flavor and different side of who I am. And, and just like to enjoy your energy and my energy and how they co-connect in this moment. It's like finding that specialness in the moments, you know, initially, um, we had talked about possibly talking about the miraculous, right? You know, the, the heart opens the door for the miraculous. These little moments of connection and love. There are these little miracles throughout our day. It could be watching the sunrise. It could be, you know, seeing a star at night. It could be um, the touch of your partner's hand or your lover, it could be whatever it is, a kind word or deed from a stranger. And all those little things open our heart. When we slow down and feel, we can connect with those things more easily. That's so beautiful. I love that. And again, it's that mind-body connection, being aware and being aware of, of those feelings and spending time with it. I think your book is really going to help a lot of people and I want people to pick this up. So can you share the best way to get in touch with you and find out what you're doing? Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the book is available on Amazon, um, Authenticity, The Immense Power to Be Yourself. You can grab it there. Uh, Heart-Centered Revolutions with an S.org is, is the website. And the bigger vision is, is to use this heart connection and empathy and love to make a world that works for everyone. Because basically 
when you parent from empathy and love, then your whole family is, it'll work for your whole family. When you run a company out of empathy and love, it'll work for the whole company. And you can basically apply this method to any area of life that has to do with people and communication. And so I, I do uh, all sorts of coaching work. There's, you can sign up for a free free sample session to experience it. And then I really suggest you you know go on the website and and book one of those free sample sessions. It's just an easy way to connect with and tune into your heart. Perfect. HeartCenterRevolutions.org. Well, yeah, I will have all those links and the information in the show notes and links to the book. And Adam, I'm so glad our, our paths have crossed and this book landed in my lap. I think it's going to really help a lot of people. And, and I'm glad that your voice is out there in the world. And I want to thank everybody for listening today. If you like what you heard, please leave a review. And if you haven't downloaded the free mindbodyspirit.fm mobile app, make sure you do that in the app store for Apple or Android. And you can leave a message or comment for any of our podcasters including myself, and you might end up on one of the shows. And head to the website, mindbodyspirit.fm, visit the online store, and make sure that you check out all of the wonderful podcasters we have on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. And thanks so much, Adam. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.